Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us as we begin a new series, Bay Hill Shuffle, in which we'll be looking through the Psalms. What we find in the Psalms is one song after another, and we've known that over the years they've comforted and consoled many people. Lead Pastor David Fossil takes us for a closer look at the Psalms, and we find that they speak to our emotions. Listen as Pastor Dave guides us through Psalm 1 and helps us to see more clearly that we need to make some choices about how we live and the directions our lives ought to take. What the iPod shuffle is to modern music, the book of Psalms is to ancient music. That's how you have to think of the book of Psalms. It's just one song after another song after another song. They don't particularly have the same topics. They vary in topics. Uh, but that's what, that's what the book of Psalms is, uh, is. We are starting a brand new series uh, that we're calling Shuffle. And we're going to get our music on. We're going to look at different songs in the book of Psalms and, and be challenged by them. You know, the book of Psalms it, it happens to be one of the most beloved uh, uh, books in the Bible. It, it, is, it has comforted and consoled people uh, over the centuries, whether it's that, that soldier on the battlefield or whether it's that homeless guy or whether it's a single mom or whether it's the businessman whose, whose company is going under or whether it's just the average person like you and like me uh, that are encouraged by, by the book of Psalms. The, the, the book of Psalms, what's, what's unique about that book is that it not only speaks to our brain or our mind, it also speaks to our emotions. And so it, it, it very quickly transitions into not just what you should think, but how you should feel. And uh, so, like I said, we're going to take it up right to the, the Easter season. I think it's going to be uh, an enriching series. Uh, this morning, we're going to start, if you have your Bibles, in Psalm one, we're going to start with the first one. Obviously, we're not going to be able to go in order, but we're going to be picking and choosing different ones. Psalm 1, turn your Bibles to Psalm 1. While you're doing that, I'm going to start uh, by reading another beloved author, okay? And it's this guy right here. Let's put it up there. Dr. Seuss, you guys ready for a little story time? I'm going to read to you from all the places you'll go. I want you to listen to what Dr. Seuss says, and then we're going to transition to Psalm 1, okay? All the places you'll go by Dr. Seuss. Congratulations. Today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. You're on your own and you know what you know. And you are the guy who'll decide where to go. You'll look up and down streets, look them over with care. About some, you will say, I don't choose to go there. With your head full of brains and your shoes full of feet, you're too smart to go down any not-so-good street. And I could go on and on. If you have young kids, maybe you've read this book to them. But as you read on and even as you've listened to the first couple of pages, you know, Dr. Seuss is right. That There really are multiple paths and multiple streets that you can go on. And just to be clear, no one forces you down any street. This is something you choose and something I choose. And there are clearly some some not so good streets that we could go on. And there are some some better streets that we can go on. Here's what you need to know about Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is nothing more than this book from a spiritual perspective. It talks about the different paths, the different places, the different ways that we can go through life. 
And the psalmist says, just, just to make, make it, Dr. Seuss talks about many different paths. From God's perspective, there are two. There are two choices, two paths, two roads that you and I can go on. It may seem like there are multiple, but, but there's only two. Let, let's put them up on the screen, Larry. The two choices that you and I have in terms of the paths we're going to take. Psalm 1 divvies them up, and verses 1 through 3 talks about the path that you and I can go on where we're heading toward God. Now, I very specifically use that language. I didn't say you're with God. I didn't say you guys are both in the same car together. No, you're heading towards God. It's very much so a journey. It's very much so a process. Our vision as a church is to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Every single one of us, if you want to be on that path, none of us have arrived. None of us. Some of us may have been on the journey a little bit longer than others, but all of us, if we choose, can be on the path heading towards God, step by step, getting closer and closer as to who he wants us to be. But there's another journey. The other journey, the the other path that you and I can choose, if we want, is the one heading away from God, heading in the opposite direction, turning our backs on God, however you want to say it. Now, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I realize in every service there may be the, the occasional spouse that got guilted in by their spouse to come or the kid who got forced to come to church by their parents. That's fine. But I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, and I'm going to assume you want to be on path number one. I'm assuming that's why you're here. There's other things you could be doing this morning, doing chores, getting a little extra street, sleep, going out for brunch. I'm assuming you're, you're, you're thinking to yourself and saying to yourself, I want to be on a path heading towards God. So your job over the next 25 minutes or so is to analyze which part of the psalm best describes who I am. Is it verses 1 through 3 heading towards God or is it verses 4 through 6 heading away for God? Are there any tweaks? Are there any changes that I have to make as I'm traveling along through life trying to please God and live for him? Okay, so if you have your Bibles, you can follow along in your Bibles or you can look on on the screen. Psalm 1 verses 1 through 3 starts out and says this blessed is the one. Who does not walk in the step in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or 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 sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. One of the first um, important steps when you're doing Bible study methodologies, you have to identify the genre that you're reading the type of literature, and based upon the type of literature, use a certain kind of techniques to interpret it. Now, why I say that is because what we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks is normally referred to as Hebrew poetry. You've got Song of Songs, you've got Psalms, you've got Proverbs, a little other couple snippets throughout the Old Testament. Hebrew poetry. And as a genre, Hebrew poetry tries to communicate in a very unique way. You're going to see it week after week. One of the primary ways that Hebrew poets try and communicate truth is what is known as parallelism. There are different types of parallelism. Today I'm going to show you two types of parallelism. I'm going to try and color code it for you so it makes sense. Let me show you. Let's put it up on the screen. I've got white and then I've got yellow. Let's start with the white, okay? The white is known as synonymous parallelism. Synonymous parallelism. We know what the word synonymous means. It means the same. And what you need to understand is that as a, as a Hebrew poet is writing, when they go to sec- second phrase, they're going to sometimes repeat themselves in a parallel fashion and synonymously to say the same thing they said in the first phrase. 
and on and on. So when you look at the white, that is known as synonymous parallelism. So he talks about, be careful, you don't want to spend time with the wicked. Be careful, you don't want to spend time with the sinners. Be careful, you don't want to spend time with the mockers. Those three words are not three distinct groups. That is called parallelism, synonymous parallelism. He's talking about the same group, but looking at it from different angles. Does that make sense? Okay, so we're going to put our thinking caps on, figure it out. Now, there's a different kind of parallelism that you see in the yellow. That is called synthetic parallelism. Now, what the Hebrew poet is doing is every single phrase he's adding to the previous phrase. So he adds, he's the same topic, but he's adding. So now notice, he's talked to us about be careful. There's a certain group of people you may not want to be with because they're going to influence you. And now look at the progression in the three verbs. Progression number one, you're just walking by the sinners. You're just walking by them. You just notice them. And then it goes to the second phrase. Now you're not just walking by. Now, Now you're standing with. And then if you're not careful, you go from walking by to standing with to now you're now you're just sitting with them. Do you see the progression it, that what is in yellow leads us to the first characteristic? If you want to jot it down of people who are heading on the right path, and this is it. They are committed to making sure they're not compromising morally. They're committed to make sure they're not compromising morally. They're resisting that moral compromise in their life. Let's put the next slide up there, Larry. And you see those three verbs again. Walking by, you know, we live in a world where whether it's at school or whether at home or whether at work, we we are rubbing shoulders with quote unquote people of the world. You can't help but bump into folks like this. The issue is at times you just walk by, but are you going to allow them to influence you? You're just browsing. You're noticing what they're doing. But some of us not only walk by, but now we start to we start to hang out with them. We start to stand with them. We start to listen to them. We may even start to behave like them. So we've gone from browsing to behaving. And then eventually some of us transition to belonging. We literally become one of them. And when someone else looks at the group that God has told us, be careful, you don't want to be identified with that group. Someone can't tell the difference between you and and the group because you're just like them. If you want to read the story of Lot in the Old Testament, it's a perfect example of someone who does the same thing. But it's this slippery slope of compromise. And if you're heading on the right path, you're smart enough to know every single one of us can slip in some areas. Every single one of us in different categories may be starting to take little steps of moral compromise. Let me give you some examples, see if it makes sense. We all would say, clearly it's wrong to rob a bank. I'm not robbing a bank. But in the area of finances, you may not be robbing a bank, but, but you may be robbing the government because you cheat on your taxes. You may not be robbing a bank, but you're you're robbing your employer because they're assuming you're giving a full day's worth of work. But you and I both know that sometimes we don't. We, we're spending an hour, 45 minutes on social media, at least every day, right? We're taking extra long breaks and then we end early. Oh, we're not robbing a bank, but we're robbing our employer. We're not robbing a bank, but we're robbing God. He tells us to honor him with a tithe and we've chosen not to. So you see how, it, yeah, I'm not robbing a bank, but we've started this moral compromise in the area of finances if you're not careful. We, we all know that this book says that sex is to be reserved between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife in the context of marriage. We all know that. 
And yet, if we're single, sometimes we get stuck in this situation where we start dating someone and man, I really like them you know, and I kind of I have the hots for them. And we went out the other night and there was a little bit of touching going on. And then two weeks from now, when we go out again, there was a lot of touching going on. And man, it got hot and heavy. And then we got out of control a little bit. And then we change our definition of sex. And we take on President Clinton's definition of sex, not God's definition of sex. It's just oral sex. I mean, it's not real sex. We didn't go all the way. And then, you know, I know I'm not married. I don't have a ring on, but I love them. I'm committed to them. We even have a date when we're going to get married. So we might as well just do it. And little by little, step by step, now we're doing and behaving and Everything that a married couple's done. Well, we know that the Bible says we aren't to get drunk. It doesn't say we can't have a drink, but we are never to be controlled by alcohol. But here's how we wiggle out of that one. Oh, no, I, yeah, no, I know I was, I drank a little bit too much at the party, but I wasn't driving. Like, like there's an asterisk at the bottom of the page in the Bible that uh, exempts us as long as we're not driving, right? Or, Pastor, you, I just had a lot of stress in my life, and it just really helps me to have a glass or two or three to unwind at the end of the day. And before you know it, that's the only way you can unwind. We uh, take a new job or we join a men's softball team, and the first couple of weeks we're just horrified because they're just like cussing like sailors. But as the months go by, we become more accepting and more accommodating, and before we know it, we're dropping F-bombs like everyone else on the team or in the office. Do you, do you see, I could go through any category like that. And what happens is little by little by little, we start to accommodate and we start to accept. And then we start to behave in the exact opposite way that, that God wants us to behave. Now, here's what I need to understand. Let's say that side of the stage represents unrighteousness. And, and this other side of the stage represents holiness and righteousness. If you're here, I'm going to assume that you're trying to live for Jesus Christ. You've identified with Christ. You've given your life to Christ. You're listening to the messages, the Bible studies, and you're trying to live righteously. You want to behave in terms of a way and live in a way that pleases God, not just because it brings glory to the Father, but because it actually helps you. That's the whole point. It's not just about God. It's also about you. God wants you to live righteously. But Satan, our enemy, wants you to go to that side of the stage. He wants you to live unrighteously. But his strategy is not to catapult you from this side of the stage to that side of the stage overnight. No, what he gets you to do is take just one little step in that direction. Just make one little compromise. And initially, no one notices. Heck, I don't even notice. You don't notice. You just start to think a little bit different. You start to talk a little bit different. And then one little behavior after another, you start to do a little bit different. And then before you know it, you're heading in the wrong direction. And then you all wake up one morning and you are miles away from where you were and who God wants you to be. And now some of us are thinking, yeah, but like 90% of my life I'm living for God. It's just one little area that I'm not obeying him. The problem is that New Testament says that just like a little bit of a yeast infects the whole batch of dough, just a little bit of sin can completely corrupt your entire life. And the point is this. If you are heading on the right path, you fiercely resist and fight moral compromise in your life. I heard that and read that years ago, the Aborigines, these are the, the people, people that are local to the to Australia region of the world, they, they controlled and owned most of northern Australia at one point in time. And a, a mining company discovered 
that in northern Australia were large deposits of uranium. And so they offered to purchase large plots of land in northern Australia, to which the aborigines responded, absolutely no. And the reason they responded that way is because in northern Australia, they have a very unique kind of ant. It's a little green ant. And the aborigines believed that those little green ants were descendants of their gods. Now, I'm not making a judgment on that or not at this point, other than just to say this. Right or wrong, what they were thinking in their mind is the reason we're saying no is because it's a God thing. It's a religious thing. It's a spiritual thing. We don't want to give that up because we're going to hold true to our moral convictions. Except in 1974, they sold most of the land that they owned. Do you know why? $8.3 million. Heck, for $8.3 million, the ants can go live somewhere else. And it got me thinking when I heard that story. Are my spiritual convictions for sale? Are yours? How much is it going to cost? How about convenience? It's just more convenient to to live on that side of the stage instead of this one. How about popularity? How about fun? How about prestige? How about money? What's it going to take to get you to go from over here, righteousness, to over this side, unrighteousness. Yeah, eight point. Well, if you get that, you can uh, donate to the building campaign because we got a lot to spend for that. What? What's it going to take your spiritual convictions? What are you going to compromise on? Maybe the next question is, what is the Holy Spirit bringing to your mind right now? Because I know how he works. Right now, he's bringing some category to your life. You know, oh, you may not be living over there, but you're moving in that direction. If you're heading in the right path, you fiercely are committed to resisting moral compromise. The second thing that the psalmist says is you are also committed to the word of God. You are completely and fully committed to the word of God. He uses two verbs. He uses the word and the idea that we delight in the word of God and that we meditate on the word of God. Now, the, the, the word delight is literally a culinary word. It's the idea that that you enjoy. You want you want more of this book. You have an appetite for this book. Now, I do appreciate what the psalmist does not say. He does not say, oh, every time I have the word of God, it just is so warm and fuzzy and tastes so good. He doesn't say that because, you see, that's that's not true. This is not a mamby-pamby, wishy-washy, feel God, never kind of pressure me any kind of book. This is not this kind of book. It doesn't always make you feel good. If you've discovered a lot about this book, the more you read it and the more you study it, have you ever, have you ever find that every once in a while God's word's like a pit bull? I mean, it gets a hold of you and it will not let go. And you try and shake that sucker off and he will not let go. And he's trying to convict you. And the the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, is trying to get you back on the right track. Sometimes this book stings because it speaks truth about me that I don't want to know and I don't want to hear. Sometimes it cuts. This is a difficult book at times to assimilate. I remember years ago, and I, I purposely chose something that happened a long time ago, so you won't know who I'm talking about. But, um, we, uh, after a sermon, a couple days after a sermon, I had a couple come to my office and they said, Pastor, can we just talk? Can we talk to you for a couple minutes? Yeah. Um, we just want to talk to you about your sermon this past Sunday. There was, there was a couple things you said in there we didn't like at all. I was like, 
well, what was it? I mean, I'm, let's talk. Did, did I misinterpret Scripture? I mean, I don't try and do that, but I'm sure every once in a while I might. You know, that's why I want you to have your Bibles open. No, no, it wasn't anything to do with that. Uh, well, did, was my tone wrong? I know what it was. I, I told a joke that I shouldn't have told. Every once in a while, I mean, like once every three weeks, I say something I probably shouldn't. What was it? Did I just say something? They're like, no, it wasn't to do anything with that. Well, what was it? Well, there was that one thing you said about what the Scripture says about that one category that we didn't like, we didn't agree with. So what are you going to do about it? And I'm like, nada. That would be nothing for those of you who are white. That means I'm just going to keep teaching what the word says, right? right? And uh, well, what are we going to do about it? I go, well, you got, you got two choices. You can either do it or don't, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. And you know what happened? They left. I mean, I didn't literally say that, but I was like, I don't have an option. I don't, honestly, it doesn't offend me at all if you don't agree with me. It doesn't, doesn't bother me one bit. You know me by now. It, it, you could take it up with God at some point when it comes to this book. But you have a choice and I have a choice. Will we delight in the word of God? Will we want more of it, even though at times it's hard to swallow? The next word that he talks about, meditate, it's actually a much more colorful word. Some people have translated masticate because it refers to what a cow does. If you've been in church long enough, it's the, it's the, it's the language that refers to how a cow eats its food. Now, I, I realize most of us here aren't farmers or didn't grow up on a farm, but if you've ever seen a cow, you know, they'll, 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 gra- they'll be grazing in the morning, you know, and they'll like... <laughs> have you seen how they move their jaw back and forth and their tongue comes out and... And then eventually they're like, you know, and then they're walking around, they're chilling out, you know, they're like, I think I'm going to take a little siesta. So they take a little siesta and then they wake up and this is what they do. I kid you not. They have different compartments in their stomach and they get up and they're thinking to themselves, you know that, you know what I was eating earlier? And they start chewing, they burp it up. And they start chewing it again. Isn't that a wonderful word picture, isn't it? But you're going to remember it, aren't you? You will not forget that. As gross as that is, do you know what? That's what God wants you to do with this sucker. You come, you come to church, you come, you hear a message, you, you eat it. Then you, you, you're going through your week. Something happens at work. And guess what God wants you to do? chew it. You go to Bible study, right? You're learning something about family and you go back to your family and then something happens in your family and God's like, (laughs) do you do that? I mean, not literally, but are are you the kind of person that is, see how I I describe it? You're thoroughly digesting. You're constantly chewing on the word of God. Now, this is only one step of many. You got to read it just devotionally. You got to study it. Now you got to go deep. You got to meditate on it. You got to memorize it, right? Ultimately, all of that is for the purpose of doing it. Oh, you could fill out all the notes you want in church. If you don't go out that door and at least do something different to live for Jesus better, honestly, you're just wasting your time. Stay home. You're you're wasting your time. You don't want to waste your time. Pick one thing and apply it. 
Change it. Change something in your life. I love this quote. Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher years and years ago. He said this, watch. A Bible which is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Isn't that awesome? It's this idea that if you're constantly reading this book and you're constantly studying this book, by the way, do not treat your Bible like a library book. Underline it and write notes in it. And I, my Bible, it's just crazy to look. That's how, what your Bible should look like. This is not a library book. Right. If you look at someone's Bible that is tattered and torn, what Spurgeon would say is most likely their life is not. They're strong as people. If you're heading on the right path, you resist moral compromise. Number two, you are fiercely committed to the word of God. And then the third thing he says is there are obvious positive results in your life. Now, he he spends quite a bit of time doing this. I'm going to go through it rather quickly other than for one point. He talks about you're planted by streams of water. In that part of the world, it's very dry. It's very arid. And if you're a tree planted right next to the stream of water, that's good because your roots can go down and can be constantly nourished. It's almost like he's referring to what he just talked about. And he's saying someone that is constantly nourished is also healthy, healthy relationally and healthy spiritually. As a person, they're centered. They're healthy. He talks about yielding fruit in season. Every once in a while, I hear a well-intentioned Christian go, all God wants you to do is be faithful. Wrong. That is wrong. He wants you to be faithful, and he wants you to be fruitful. He wants you to produce something. And and that's what the writer is is talking about here. What is produced from the inside of you matters. Let me... Let me give you a quick example. I got some, I got some props here. I think it's going to make sense real quick. Okay. Let me, let me talk to you. And it's going to take me a little second to explain this, but let's just say, let's just, this is my, this is my soda of choice, diet Pepsi. Let's say you get a diet Pepsi, you pop it open, you start to drink it and you discover it's not diet Pepsi. You discover it's 10 W 30 motor oil. Would that be a problem? That would be a problem. Okay. Let's say this is, I got some Tylenol here. Let's say I got a migraine. I got a headache. I want to take some Tylenol. It turns out that it's not Tylenol, but it's diuretic pills. Would that be a problem? Yes, it would. It'd be a different kind of problem. It would be a major problem. I've got some deodorant here. Some, some of my spray axe deodorant. Let's say I put this on in the morning and I discover it's not deodorant. It's ant spray or cockroach spray. Would that be a problem? Okay. I have some Taco Bell sauce here. I always go for the hot stuff, right? I got some Taco Bell sauce. What if you're putting this on your delicious, very nutritious taco from Taco Bell and you discover it's not taco sauce, it's mayonnaise? Would that be a problem? I could go on and on with this. Let's say you've got, you got, you want some Campbell's chicken noodle soup and you discover as you open this up that it's not chicken broth, it's formaldehyde what they use in a mortuary, what they use for glue. Would that be a problem? I could go on and on with this. It says you have some baby powder and you, you just changed your, di- your, your, your kid's diaper and, and you want to spray some of this on. You discover it's not baby powder, it's powdered sugar. <laughs> would all these be a problem? Let me ask you a question. If any of this happened to you, what would you do? You'd stop using it. You'd probably go back to the supermarket and, and complain. Some of us might sue if you, if you ingest something that's going to hurt you, right? Here's the principle. Any one of these products, if the product on the inside doesn't match the advertising on the outside, there's a problem. If the advertising, if the product on the inside doesn't match the advertising on the outside, we're going to have a problem. And there's a spiritual principle as well. 
Because you see, you and, you and I are advertising that we are Christ followers. You and I are advertising that we want to live for Jesus. You and I are advertising that we want to be on that side of the stage. We want to be righteous and we want to be holy. But if the product on the inside of you doesn't match the advertising on the outside of you, we're going to have a problem. You're going to have a problem with God. You know who else you're going to have a problem with? The world. Because the world is going to look at your advertising and they'll look at the product that comes out of you and they will conclude based upon your actions and your advertising, this must be a bunch of garbage. You see, that, th- this, is why, this is why the psalmists say, not only do you have to be nourished and healthy, you've got to produce fruit. And if you are not producing fruit, if the product that comes out of you doesn't match the advertising, uh, something's wrong. Galatians chapter 5 is one of many passages that talks about fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and it's joy and it's patience and it's kindness and it's gentleness and it's faithfulness and it's self-control. And and there's things you do and it's who you are as a person and your attitude. You want to be on the right path? There needs to be obvious, positive results. Now, for those of us who have been Christians like for a long time and we potentially judge brand new Christians, just be careful yields fruit in season. So it takes time. It takes time to develop spiritual fruit. You can't, you can't go from that side of the stage to this side of the stage overnight. It's going to take time, so be patient. He also says that, that if you're heading on the right path, it says it doesn't wither. It's this idea that the tree is strong, whether it's hot weather or cold weather, whether there's water or no water, whether there's a storm or animals, they're resilient and they're strong and they're durable. And people who are on the right path are the same way. Oh, the world can kick them upside the head. But because they're on the right path, they're strong and they're resilient. And I might have to pick myself up off the ground, but I'm heading in the right direction. Now, this last one you got to be careful with. Whatever, that's the word that throws me off, whatever he does prospers. Now, if you take the word prosper and define it like the world defines prosperity in a financial way, it's going to mess you up. Because you're going to go, well, clearly I'm not very prosperous. And I know a lot of other godly people and they're not prosperous. The problem is that that word prosperous in the Bible doesn't mean financial prosperity. It's this idea that if you are heading on the right path, God's will for your life and God's goals for your life are guaranteed. Moreover, if you do want to play the prosperity game, in the long run, the righteous will always be more prosperous than the unrighteous. Relationally, physically, marriage-wise, financial-wise, everything, okay? But the idea is, the idea is, is that there are obvious positive results. Let me tell you an Africa story. We're, um, we're in the middle of this conference in Tanzania. It's hot, hotter than hot, 110 degrees. And, uh, but there's all these pastors there, like 70 people in this conference. And uh, we had this break. I, I went through a session, an hour session. And I said, okay, I want you to talk about these questions, get into groups. And my administrator, the guy who's working with me over in Africa, he says, let's go back to the hotel. We need to pick this stuff up. When we get back, we'll start the second session. Okay, so we get with our driver. He takes us to the hotel. Uh, we're back heading to the conference center. And uh, the police in town are doing routine traffic stops. They're stopping every 10th car, every 15th car. They want to double check on insurance and registration and driver's license and all that. So we get pulled over, of course. We get pulled over. Our driver has none of it. Nada. 
So he, they're like, well, what are we going to do now? And the police, there's three of them. They're like, you're not going anywhere. You got to get that paperwork here. We are not releasing you. And uh, so he gets on the phone. He's trying to get a hold of the owner of the car. We can't get a hold of the owner of the car. He's making all these calls. Nothing. My administrator sitting in the back, he's like, this is a problem. He goes, the, the session's supposed to start like in five minutes. You're here. We need you there. I go, well, I don't know what to do. And uh, then our driver, our driver, he gets a phone call. And, uh, and he answers and he goes, hello? Oh, yes. Bishop Nyenye? Oh, yes, Bishop Nyenye. Bishop Nyenye was like the guy in charge of all the churches in the area. I got a picture. Let me show you the picture. The guy on the right is Bishop Nicodemus. The guy on the left is Bishop Nyenye, and I'm the white pasty guy in the middle. So Bishop Nyenye, he calls the driver. Oh, yes, Bishop Nyenye. Oh, okay. He gets out of the car, I driver. He walks over to the police, and he says, you he says, someone wants to talk to you. Okay. So the police get on the phone with Bishop Nyenye. And Bishop Nyenye says this to them. He told he says, do you know who you've detained? Do you know who you've pulled over? Do you know who is sitting in that car? The man of God is sitting in that car and you will release him immediately. I kid you not. The cops are going out there stopping traffic on delay, on delay. And we're like, it was so good for my fragile self-esteem to have that kind of thing happen. So your takeaway is, is anytime you have problems with the police, just call me and I will try and work things out for you, right? I, I've told you before that this book says we're all men of God. We're all women of God. But the psalmist wants to make sure you understand what that looks like. Let's put the next slide up there. That's what it looks like. That's what that, a man of God and a woman of God is going to resist moral compromise. You are fiercely committed to the, to the word of God and it's change in your life and there are obvious positive results. Now, I'm not going to spend so much on the second half, but I do want to make sure you understand what does it look like to be on the wrong path? Let's read the next couple verses, verses four through six. Not so the wicked, says the psalmist. In other words, all the stuff I just told you about the, the, the person living in righteousness, not so the wicked. They are like shaft that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. There's three characteristics of someone heading on the wrong path. Characteristic number one is this idea that they are driven. They are even successful, but their life ultimately doesn't have lasting significance. Now, this is not saying that an unsaved person is not valuable. It's not saying that an unsaved person is not good or can't contribute. I know a lot of unsaved people and they've made made advances in technology and advances in medicine and advances in business and they're they're good people but the psalmist would say beyond what they've done from an eternal perspective what they have to contribute is not of lasting significance and and he uses this term they are like shafts that blow the wind blows away now here's the problem again we didn't grow up um you know taking the wheat from the fields and figuring out how to get the wheat and so on and so process wheat. But this is, this is a farming term. Now I I've heard this explained, but I thought this is the first time I'd like, I'm going to, I'm going to go on YouTube and see if I can find out what this looks like. I'm going to show you what it looks like. And before I show you the video, they throw the wheat up in the ground, assuming that the heavy part of the wheat, the good part of the wheat will drop to the floor and the wind will blow the shaft away. Let me show you. Let's put it up there. So watch. They, this is what they do everywhere else in the world. We have machines to do this. They're throwing the wheat up. 
the good part of the wheat falls down and you see what gets blown off to the side? That's the shaft. That's the stuff that doesn't matter. This is what the entire world still does today. There's a dog. He's just hanging out there checking out what his master is doing, right? There goes the wheat up in the air and the shaft off to the side. The wheat up in the air, the shaft up to the side. That's what farmers do. Okay, let's get rid of that. That's the word picture that he has for people heading in the right direction. The wind blows away your contribution so there's not a lasting significance. The second thing that he says if we're heading on the wrong path is that we're doomed to fail life's final exam. I don't know how else to say that, but here, here's, what's gonna, here's the reality. If you get hit by a bus this afternoon or have a heart attack tonight, you're going to be at the gates of heaven, okay? And when you get to the gates of heaven, you're, you're going to have to give them a reason why they should let you in, right? Uh, some of you may remember about 20, 30 years ago, there was a, a witnessing program called Evangelism Explosion. And it was based upon asking people two questions. These two questions right here. Do you know for sure that you're going to be with God in heaven? Think about that. What's your percentage? Are, are you 50-50? Are you 80-20? Are you 90? What, what are you? Because that's kind of an, a big deal question, don't you think? Now, likely you're not going to get hit by a bus this afternoon. But someday you will have to answer question number two. If God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? So you end up at the, at the pearly gates, and, and, and God says, why should I let you in? What are you going to say? Now, just to be clear, there's this conversation. If you get in, at some point in time, you're going to sit around the conference table, and he's going to audit your life. What did you do? What did you say? How did you spend your money? What were your relationships like? There's an audit, just so you know. If you make it in, and based upon that conversation, there are extra bonuses and rewards. But the question I have for you is the final exam. This, this question right here. So I'm going to ask you one more time. You're facing God at the gates. So uh, <clears throat> who, are, who are you? What's your, yeah, why should I let you in? I'm going to give you some options in a moment, but I want you to try and nail down in your mind, what would you say? Now watch, watch, watch. Option number one, A. Because I'm a good person and I, I, I always tried to be kind to others. What do you guys think about that answer? There's a problem with that answer because it's relative. If you're comparing yourself to Adolf Hitler, you're a saint. But if you compare yourself to Billy Graham and Mother Teresa, you're a bum, right? So this is very relative. And I, how do you measure this? And if you measure yourself against the wrong person, that's a problem, Right? Option B, because my family are Christians, I live in a country that is Christian, and when I do go to church, I attend a Christian church. What do you guys think about that answer? Have you ever, have you ever heard it said, this book never talks about God's grandchildren, only his children? I'm glad if your parents are Christian, but that's not what's going to get you into heaven. I've told my kids, if you mention my name at the pearly gates, that's not going to help you one bit. It may hurt you, actually, you know? That's a problem, okay? Let's look at option C. Option C is pretty good. Uh, because I trusted Jesus, my Lord and Savior. I followed the Ten Commandments, served, tithe, I've prayed, I've gone on mission trips, fed the homeless. I read my Bible all the time. I have faithful church attendance. You guys like that one? Huh? Some people do, some people don't. There's, it's actually pretty good except for one word. One word. It's the second word on the second line. Look at it. It's the word and. 
and. The Bible says that you are saved by grace. In other words, you don't deserve it. There's nothing you can do. There's no hoops you can jump through. You can't give enough money. You can't go to church enough. You can't do enough good stuff to get into heaven. The minute you add the word and, there's something in your brain that actually makes you think I'm saved by grace and my good works. There's only one and only one answer that's going to get you in. And it's this one right here, option D. Because I've given my life to Jesus, trusting him as my Lord and Savior, full stop. Now, all, that, all those other things, I tithe, I went on missions trips, I served the homeless. That's not going to help you in this conversation. It will help you when you get to the conference table and he does an audit of your life. Does that make sense? But if you're heading on the right path, on the wrong path, you're doomed to fail life's exam. You didn't get the question or the answer right here. You've got to get it right. Why should I let you in? One word, Jesus. It's not what I've done, it's what he's done. And the last thing that the psalmist says about those who are heading on the right, wrong path is that they're destined to forfeit God's direction. They're destined to forfeit God's direction. I, I find it noteworthy what he says uh, here. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. I've kind of given you a hint of what I'm looking at. I would think it would say, but the Lord watches over the righteous. Doesn't that sound so cool? He watches over you, the righteous. Except that's not what it says. He says it watches over the way of the righteous. You, that's completely different. You see, that's why I can be in life and I can get kicked upside the head and it can be raining on me and my life is a little bit chaotic and God still in his mind is going, but I'm still pleased with where they're at and what's going on because I'm not about taking the storms out of their life. I'm about making sure they're on the right path. And if they're on the right path, eventually they're going to end up where they need to be and where I want them to be. Completely different. I read about a certain courthouse in Ohio, a small courthouse in rural Ohio. And I guess there's an anomaly geographically, but right at the peak of the roof, apparently when it rains, if, if a drop falls on the northern side, that drop of water falls off and then it goes to Lake Ontario and, and, and St. Lawrence uh, Gulf. goes there and goes to Lake Ontario and St. Lawrence Gulf. If it falls, that drop of water falls on the south side, it goes to the Mississippi River and to the Gulf of Mexico. The distance between the Gulf of Mexico and St. Lawrence Gulf is 2,000 miles. And yet it's all determined by what side of the roof that drop falls on. And it made me think, you know, many times when we're going through life, those roads seem like they're side by side. They seem like it. But if, if you don't get on the right road, if instead of heading with God or toward God, you're heading away from God before you know it, the end destination is vast. And it has eternal consequences and implications. I'm going to have the band come up. As the band's coming up, I want to put the summary slide up. Which best describes you? Which path are you on? And why did God bring you here this morning? What does he want you to do differently? How does he want you to live differently based upon what you've just learned? Let's bow our heads and pray.
I want you to take a couple moments and reflect. First question is this. What area in your life are you potentially compromising? I don't know it. Maybe even the people around you don't know it, but you know you're on the slippery slide of compromise in a particular area. What is that area? And what are you going to do to stop it? Second question. Are you really committed to the Word of God? Oh, I know you are this morning because you just listened to the sermon, but how about Monday through Saturday? Whether it's a Bible study, whether it's you picking up the book on your own and reading it, what can you do differently to enhance your commitment to the Word of God? Third question. Can people tell you're a Christ follower by your life? You don't have to advertise it. What comes from you, the product that comes from you as a life, shows it. Take a couple moments, reflect on those questions, decide what are you going to do differently based upon what you learned. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you've reflect this morning when you get to the pearly gate, so to speak, and God asks you, why should I let you in? If you're not sure that you've made that choice, could I encourage you to pray this prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, today I embrace Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. This morning, I accept what Jesus did on the cross, and I trust only Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. I'm not going to trust my behavior. I'm not going to trust my going to church. I'm not going to trust whether I'm a good person or not. I'm going to trust only your son, Jesus Christ, and what he did on the cross for me. And I embrace and hold on to Jesus Christ, believing that you're going to change and transform me. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we had about five, six people first serve. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, just slip your hand up so I can see it. Just slip it up real quick. I see that hand, those two, three hands. Anyone else? Just slip it up real quick so I can see it. Four or five hands. Anyone else? Just slip it up. Heavenly Father, for the eight to ten people this morning that prayed that prayer, give them confidence. Give them 100% confidence when they get to the gate someday. They have the right answer. Why should I let you in? Because of Jesus. Father, for those of us who prayed that prayer and, and are on that path, remind us what it means to be a Christ follower. Remind us that there's a lot more involved than just praying a prayer. Father, we love you. We're thankful for what you taught us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast, or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Cerbrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.